EngageX, an engagement excellence company. Well, welcome to the first uh, podcast that we're running under the EngageX banner. It's a really exciting time. Uh, we've got Mark Cameron along to uh, to have a conversation with, and he'll introduce himself shortly. Uh, but also, really interestingly, is this is our first podcast where we've got two interviewers. We have Sven Brook. That's me. Thank you. <laughs> and myself, Andrew Phillips. So let's let's get into this podcast with Mark. Sven and I have formed our new company, Engagement Excellence Company, and we are now kicking off the Series 1 of podcasts. And we are absolutely uh, privileged to have Mark Cameron along in today's in today's podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, very excited about being here. And uh, I know the uh, I know the excitement of launching a new business and, and sometimes even just just rebranding it. It's a it's, a it's a big step. Well, that's great because that's what we're going to talk about today: rebranding and rebranding in a technology based world, but with a people focused outcome. But a little bit about you, um, Mark is the CEO of of Alive. That's right. Prior to rebranding to Alive, Mark was the CEO of W Three Digital. And Mark has written over 500 articles, so I think today's session is going to be very exciting and very, uh, very informative for our listeners. Well, uh, with all those articles, I'm surprised you found time for us. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> You'd been running W3 Digital for some time, I think yep. 11 years. Uh, 20, actually. 20, 20 oh, well, years. Well, been part of it for 20 years, yeah. But now you've taken it another step. You've rebranded yep. to Alive. So. That's a risky business, right? You've got a business that's been around for, for a long time. You've yep. rebranded. First question is, why? I, I can't really answer that without sort of telling you about my sort of personal story, mm -hmm. I think, um, because, you know, the, the two things are obviously pretty entwined. Um, I mean, my, my career started in the, in the 90s in New Zealand, as you can probably tell by my accent, um, and it was in the advertising marketing space uh, at a time where you know, it, advertising marketing was in its heydays. It was, you know, as I said, in the 90s, it was, it was, it was a pretty fun industry at that point. Um, but by the, you know, late 90s, this thing called the internet was starting to sort of make waves and, you know, it was starting to become an interesting space. Um, and, you know, I went and joined a company called Hyperactive um, and, you know, a couple of other, you know, a couple of other organisations that were just starting to, to develop um, and we ended up doing a lot of work with some of the largest you know, businesses and organisations and government departments in New Zealand at that point um, because it was one of the first big digital agencies, essentially. But yet still, it was, you know, it was pretty cowboy stuff. You know, mm. we could just make things up and that's pretty much the way it was because um, yeah. everybody was making stuff up. Yeah, everything was black magic back then. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, you, know, the, you know, there was no separation between technology strategy and, and online marketing strategy and customers. There was all, you know, it was all just one amorphous thing, essentially. Um, and by the late 90s, you know, I sort of felt like I had, you know, just sort of, you know, run my, run my course a little bit and wanted to sort of step overseas and see what else was, you know, there to offer because, you know, we were at the kind of dot-com boom time at that point. Um, and... I moved over to Melbourne in early 2001. I, was, I wasn't planning on being here for that long. I had actually had a job lined up in New York. Mm. Um, and then, of course, September 11 happened. Um, that job ceased to exist. The world changed overnight, pretty much. Mm. Um, and by that stage, I was already kind of like a digital gun for hire in, in Melbourne. So I was, you know, I was doing some work for Telstra and for Heinz Waddies and all those different, different organisations uh, coming in and being um, that digital strategist and thinking through you know, what they could be doing in the customer space, in the technology space, um, you know, using these new technologies, 
where to search fit in, all this kind of all the kind of stuff at that point. Um, around 2003, joined the company I'm you know with now, or it was then called Working Three, through original partners. Um, one of them unfortunately passed away, and then then uh, then yeah, we went through a process of of um, essentially taking the business over, and, and the other other two partners um, exited. And um, in retrospect, I probably you know. That, that took a while in retrospect you know probably would have got the timing slightly better because I think the GSC hit the same I think time. I think the week after we yeah. you know sort of exited the last part <laughs> but you know that's the way it goes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't get the memo GFC's coming <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right well I mean there was some, some warning signs weren't there yeah. um, <laughs> uh, and yeah and then so and then you know, I mean, by that stage the organisation was more kind of had its more marketing kind of orientation but of course you know when the GFC hit that's where technology space was for most organisations. You know, it was either IT, which was essentially just delivering stuff, mm. or um, it was customer because, you know, over that period when the GSC hit, over that period obviously social media had exploded, um, search had exploded, and businesses working out how they find, engage and retain a customer had become the core challenge. Yeah, That was the main thing everybody was focusing on. Um, and as a result, they you know they wanted to think through, you know, how do I think about technology in that context? How do I bring in? Uh, how do I think about you know human-centered design or customer strategy? There was a real renaissance in things like um, design thinking, for example. Hmm. Um, and we rode that wave. And then as we have evolved and you know moved increasingly into the strategy, business advisory, you know, sort of championing that conversation where. The technology is not just a matter of implementing, you know, your investments in technology aren't just implementing, um, you know, what you're doing now, but it can actually transform the way your organisation works. Um, we've been increasingly engaging with, you know, CFOs, CEOs, board members. And so, you know, over the last few years, it became clear that we needed to make sure our brand reflected that type of engagement, the language that we used, yeah, the way that we engaged. Yeah. I mean, the conversation changed, right? It, yeah. It yeah. was, don't sell me technology, tell me what problem you're solving, tell me how it's relevant to me, and, you know, hence, you've actually got to get into that company and start working out, well, what are their problems? How does it manifest? You, you had a recent uh, case study where you did just that, in fact. Uh, yeah. Do you, you want to... Talk a bit about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think every, I mean, all of the case studies that we have have that kind of flavour to them. To be honest, um, I think they all, you know, whether we, it's a government department, it's healthcare, um, it's you know retail, it's media organisations, often the conversation starts with we've got a technology problem, mm-hmm. um, or you know we've got a core system that needs you know that's become you know unwieldy. We need to shift it, or we've got you know a data problem, or we've got you know or we think we're getting hammered in the market and we need to do more digital innovation or whatever else it may be. But it starts with this kind of technical thing and very quickly it moves into, well, actually you've got a structural problem or you've got a cultural problem or how well do you understand your market or have you thought about the impacts of the community and your employees and how those things work together to make sh- to inform the way you're investing in technology, and these are the really critical aspects of, uh, you know, that, that the first instance is for organisations to take the that easy layer and look at how do I make myself look attractive to clients to get them in. Yeah. But then this next layer of much more difficult level of analysis is how do I keep them and how do I remain relevant to them over the because an organisation has a journey which is what you've been on, but a client also has a journey as That's well. Right. And so I'd, I'd like to talk more about wh- how do you match those two cycles? 
we have evolved as the market's evolved. And I think being conscious about what the pressures are and trying to make sure that we're you know, pushing those conversations as much as possible. So we are you know, pushing our clients, we're challenging them in ways that you know, you know, we know maybe they're not always getting. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's really a critical part of what we're doing. As I said before, you know, when the GFC hit, how do I find, engage and retain a customer was the core problem. Fast forward to today, I think how do you find, engage and retain a customer in the digital landscape Still a problem, Still. but it's a bit more of a known quantity. Yep. Like you know, roughly what things, what tactics are you going to use? You know, what approaches you're going to use, and roughly you know what you're going to get for your budget, mm-hmm. um, and where the skills are going to come from, and those kinds of things. Um, how do I find, engage, and retain talent? Very much a problem. How do I get more revenue from the customers I've already got? So revenue diversification and business model shift, very, very much a problem, um, and then sort of separating out between digitization and real digital transformation yep. I think is very much a problem as well. I think there's been a lot of organisations really just doing the same stuff they've always done but with a technology layer, which is digitization. So yeah. how do I do the same stuff but faster and cheaper? In Electronic form. Yeah. 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 Versus how do I use technology to fundamentally change the way that we do business, the way that we interact with our customers, the way that we generate revenue. Yeah. And the client segments has been have been sliced and diced much much thinner today as well. Yep. So the strategy for each of those very narrow client segments, uh, while broadly can remain the same, it needs to be contextualised to each of the, uh, each of them to maintain the, the that guaranteed retain find retain story. Are you finding also that um, because the ability of clients to be much more informed in today's market to what they were 10 or so years ago or potential clients, are you finding that you're needing to adapt more rapidly to them as well? <laughs> the biggest sources of information often are technology vendors. And I think that's, you know, that's an issue because of itself, they, you know, it's actually how do I make sense of all the information, mm. I think, is a really, really big problem for a lot of organisations. There's just yeah. so much information that what, how do I boil this down to really, really simple principles that we can then execute on and actually do something with? I find that's a continual problem. I think a lot of people don't necessarily see that the technology sales stack is is upside down, right? Yep. To your point, the vendor is driving, that they make technology, they want to sell technology, they are driving a, a market, right? Yep. And then they have the integrators that string it all together and then say, here's a solution looking for a problem, essentially. And if no one believes that that's true, look at when that's that time of the year where everyone gets awards. They get awards from the vendors, not from their customers. The vendor's saying, you're the best at selling my stuff. There's no customer award saying, you're the best at solving my problem. It's an upside-down market. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, for <laughs> most organisations that aren't, you know, that aren't technology organisations at their core, the pathway to success often is to define the minimum you can do with technology and implement it in the best possible way. Mm. That's a completely at odds with the, the technology vendors who want you to buy the software and then put as many of your processes and so on into it as possible, yeah. even if you never use them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, the uptake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to just get back, though, to, again, the, the rebranding and the focus on people first, right? Yep. So at some point, you went, th- you went through a bit of your history, but at some point you got to a point where you went, you know what, W3 Digital is not working anymore or we need to get ahead of the pack, we need to focus differently. What was the thought process to go, we're going to do this? Oh, look, I mean, it was, there was a lot behind it. I mean, I think, <laughs> as I said, the original brand um, 
um, was you know was called Working Three, and then we evolved it to W Three Digital, um, and it was you know it was a bit of a it was a, we kind of inherited that that bit. Um, so there was a bit of you know for me here coming back coming from a little bit of a branding and marketing background, there was like you know I can I know developing a brand and creating equity in the brand can have a huge impact on the organisation, and I think you know ours have become a bit fragmented. But then I think the other point was just the philosophy and core of the organisation. Um, and, you know, if you look back through the, the, the articles I've written for, say, the last 15 years, the one element that is continual the whole way through it is, what does this mean for people? Mm. How does this, you know, this technology trend is developing, here is how it could go wrong for people. Here is the issues, that it, here is how it's going to, you know, not empower people but can you know control them you know how do we use technology to to you know essentially empower them rather than sort of you know manipulate them yeah um a bit of a black mirror to to yeah you know it's good but it can also be bad so everyone be careful out there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and you know and the technologies have become more entrenched in our lives they become larger the scale their the reach has become larger the you know the the possibilities you know particularly for organizations as you say the who uh, aren't Deep technology organisations at the core, the the way that they're thinking about investing in those can have really fundamental impacts, not just on their viability and sustainability as an organisation, but on their employees, you know, their customers, and you know, the, as I said, the communities they interact with. So I think you know, for for us, it was stepping into that and going, we need to champion this because uh, you know where we're at as an, as a society this is becoming an, in- an increasing problem and you know look, even just at its most simple level most business leaders we talk to are saying how do i go through another change in the organization without blowing up the team yes mm. yeah, yeah and the team obviously the resource constraints that we're all seeing at this point in time yep. this human centered piece or human centric piece yep. is the critical factor Nearly everyone's talking like that, though, Mark. What makes your approach different to what the what the market approach is doing? <laughs> a philosophical thing there. I think there is a. We're also willing to sort of take the predictable, you know, sort of take a bit of prediction there, and sort of say, here are where things are going to go. Yes. Um, we've done that work a lot over the last fifteen years of, of actually sort of you know, going look. If you join these dots, this is what's likely to happen and what you will be dealing with. And often, it's sort of it's come come true. So we're now saying okay, we can we can back ourselves on that. Um, the other aspect of it, I think, is that there is that human centered design is it's very good, but it's quite often at a product level. Mm. Um, yes. yes, there is. You know, there's there's um, offshoots of of human centered design, which is system design and organizational design. But I think we have we have taken that that learning, that philosophy, that approach, and it just embedded it into everything we do. So, it, you know, when we're building a business case, when we're, we're thinking about, you know, developing a, a you know, strategy paper, it has that language and it has that viewpoint in, embedded in every aspect of it. How do people, how, how do customers ask for a more people-centric approach? When you, 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 we all get the RFPs that come out and it's mostly specification. They, yep. might, they might have a line item, say, oh, yes, we'd like one times innovation or something to that effect. But how, how do you cut through to, uh, to the customer to say, look, you've asked for stuff, but by the way, here's, here's what we're going to come back to you. Or, or, or is that actually too late in the game? How do you tackle that disconnect? Uh, I mean, I think there is a, an element of, 
mark, you know, of doing what we're doing now, which is, you know, talking about it and talking and saying, you know, this is important for you when you're making decisions. You know, that old, you know, most technology projects fail because they haven't actually effectively thought through the human Talk impact of it. Yep. Mm. Um, and then I think the other element is that most people don't know how to ask for it. Um, so, you know, there's an education process that goes along with that. Just yep. having that, you know, talking about, well, you've asked for this and this and this, that's great. You might get cost out in the short term. Here are the risks that you're starting to develop as you, you know, as that may evolve over time. Um, yeah, good old planning, right? You know, like yeah, yeah. first of all, plan your outcome, plan your project, and then plan the implications of what that makes, what that means from a people, a people perspective. And often people will, people again, jump from what I want to have, technology will solve it, and forget the journey that they need to take with their, all of their team on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I mean you know, and the technology, the people impact that technology can have can happen very, very, very quickly. I mean, we you know we saw that you know if you look at the the history of the internet, you know that old uh, put a you know creative destruction thing, you know which was you know we had first of all there was a dot com boom, then you had search, which you know that basically killed off a whole lot of business models and created new ones, and then we had social, and then we had the kind of the age of mobile, which was you know great birth to all sorts of new businesses. And now we've just moved into the age of AI mm. um, and, you know, like ChatGDP, fastest technology adoption of all time. Mm. It's being used everywhere, whether companies know it or not. Um, and so, you know, what, you know, and that's, that's being driven by the consumer. That's been driven at a consumer level, not at an organisational level. Mm. And, you know, my prediction there would be saying, you know, these, those tools are very good generalists, but... Consumer demand is going to want to make them specialists. They're going to like I want to take the power of ChatGDP, and it knows everything about me. So the recommendations that comes back are highly, highly personalised for me, my life, and my desires and yep. predictions. Mm-hmm. But that you know, that's there's a whole element there that businesses need to think about, which is okay. Well, then how how do we think about data sovereignty? Where's that likely to go from a policy and government policy perspectives? How, mu- how much is too much? Uh, how much yeah, is yeah. too much? Um, <laughs> do we want to do we yeah. even want to own and manage all that information, or is there likely to be a new market category, which is the bank of data that starts and that could reshape the world economy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, how do we put trust into that? That's a, that's a really interesting, which is a nice thing to talk about, which where you see a prediction going. What do you see us talking about in five years' time in this space? Oh, look, I mean, that that piece, I would say 100%. I'd say the bank of data, I'd say there's, you know, the, some of the big technology firms, you know, Apple, Microsoft, et cetera, they're laying the groundwork for that now, and they have been for quite some time. Aren't there two aspects to that insofar as you've got the centralised approach, your yep. uh, Apples and Microsofts and big behemoths that clearly see the money at the end of this line because uh, there's a lot of it and then there's the decentralized approach where people own their own data and choose what they um uh, what they share and and um potentially there's no big corporate behind it i'll give you a quick example of i i i decided i was playing around with chat gpt and bing i thought let me just see the difference between the two because one of them is open ai mm. forget that microsoft has has pumped money into into it but then you've got the commercial version. And I asked the same question to both. I said, right, chat, I need a survey that does this. And mm. chat came, chat GBT came back and said, yeah, yeah, there you go. There's a survey. Answered the question. I went to Bing and uh, it said, oh, you need to go to this company because they do surveys, right? Because that's where the money comes from. Right? Yeah. So you get a different result when you're looking at an open versus a centralized. And I think that's going to play a big role in how this is going to play out in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, I'd say... 
if it was centralized and advertising was the financial model that sits behind it, then yep, that's where you would head. If it was centralized and advertising or product sales was was the model, like Apple, you'd probably get a very different model. Um, and whether it's centralized data or we own our own data, it, it, as I said, that's the banking category. That's basically what you're talking about is banking for data. Yeah, it's like you know, there's a whole market category there. Whereas it's my money sitting somewhere. It's just somebody else is looking at after after it for me and managing it and putting the structure around it. Yeah, yeah. Now we are dangerously close to going very far from what we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. I, was, I was hoping to get through this without saying the word AI, but yeah. Yeah. We, we got there. Yeah. Um, but I want to get back to the people side of things yep. and, and your business in particular. So Andrew said, people first is not a new concept. No. Um, you, but but you're putting it forward in your business now. What I want to know, I want to peel back that layer and go, what's actually changed? So how does that manifest in the people that work for Alive, mm-hmm. um, and how does that manifest for your customers? What what's behind people first? It's managing the risk for our customers fundamentally. You know the way, as I said, the way that we talk and the way that we work fundamentally hasn't changed. Um, it is what we are, but what the the way that we're expressing that to market um, fundamentally has. What we have yet to do is measure the ongoing impact of the technology investments that our customers are making and how it's impacting their their people and their customers. Now, there's you know there's things like Net Promoter Score and all those sort of things, which you know have been around for a long time, but where we're heading is going, we need to be able to start to define this integrated human impact element. Now, we haven't solved that yet, but we have all agreed that that is our pathway. That's mm. something that we are, we are aiming to do ongoing. Is, is it a better discussion to have with boards, for example, because you, you are actually now um, internalising in your business the, the more the ESG Program. So mm-hmm. yes, we're going to we're going to do the things you've asked us to do, but we're also going to contribute to your Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer your your ESG ambitions as well because it we're looking at people, we're looking at the environment, we're looking at different impacts. Is it that far down the line, or, or am I? Yeah, it, it is, it is. But I'd also say, I mean, you can sort of bring it back to something a little bit more fundamental, which is, you know, technology often is just a cost out discussion, mm-hmm. and no business has ever saved them way themselves to success. Um, the only way a business is success is to continue to evolve the way it generates revenue, um, and the way it creates product, and the way it, you know, like extending market and finding new ways to sell to that market. Um, and I think you know that human first approach to everything that exists within inside its ecosystem is the only way that you can do that because you can you are thinking about where technology is going. You're thinking about how your customers are using that technology. You're thinking about how your employees and your customers are interacting together through technology and understanding that deeply and and working out where the you know the patterns are, the trends are, is where you find new opportunities to develop product and generate revenue. That's, and that's really interesting. So what's the... What's the alternative to having a people-first approach? What technology first. Technology, uh, yeah. Or sales first. That's or sales <laughs> first, yeah. And, and, and I just wonder how that – how do you see – do you see that you need to compete against that or is it just – it's just such an old approach or are you finding that it, there are some organisations who are buying technology first? Uh, yeah, there are. There's a lot of organisations buying technology first and particularly in um, – economic downturn, you know, when things get tight and tough, um, 
you know, as you see, you know, as, as when times are good, you know, sales and marketing, you know, gets, gets lifted. When times are tough, all of a sudden it's all about the accountants. Yes. <laughs> um, and but that, that, wouldn't that be a buy-nothing approach? Well, well, it's not just by nothing. It's b- only by the technology that gets cost out. How can we buy yeah. technology that removes people? How right. can we? Yep. How okay. can we deliver the same mm-hmm. products and services just cheaper? Um, and that's fine. But you're basically laying down foundation that the business can't shift from. Mm. Yeah, you're 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 embedding it so much that yes, you can. You know, sure, you can deliver that product stream or that revenue line more efficiently, but. It's not going to be able to change. You're more focused on staying alive as an organisation than you are as what your capability is as an organisation. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you though, how far does one go with, you know, people first, human first? Do you look at your suppliers and the and your vendors that you work with and and look at their supply chain and go, well, hang on a second, uh, you know, y- you're not exactly clean and green supplier A. I can't work with you anymore. Do do you look at that as well, yep. as part of your business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to name okay, no. some of them, but I have. I mean, even to clients in, in the past, as I said, you know, with I mean, this is at a philosophical level. You know, the brain is now is now a representation of how we operate and how the business has operated for some time. Um, but you know, we have fired clients because they were essentially doing things that we thought was you know not, not morally right yeah but that is interesting though because that that's where you become misaligned not just because they're not morally right but then strategically you can't you can't have that long-term investment with them no. because you know that you're, you're going to diverge f- further out um can't well we know and we know that we can't off you know the advice that we're going to give them the part yeah exactly the advice we're going to give them where it's going to head is you know not actually going to be you know taken up half the time because they're you know heading in a different pathway. And where do you find that conversation stems from? Is that, of of course, a, a CEO and a board have significant control over the direction of the business. But are you finding that often within the business at the medium levels, that less. Uh, strategic or human-centred approach is being implemented because yep. they have their own personal financial goals they're trying to achieve? Uh, I think, you know, like... I think, you know, at a senior board level, people think about communities, obviously, because that's kind of part of what they're being told to do. Yes. At a CEO and management level, they're thinking about, obviously, the organisational... They think about customers, but then, obviously, organisational culture. Once you get to the mid areas, they're just trying to... Just stay alive, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think you know, it, for them, change management is about training people. It's technical. It's a. It's, it's how a do we get people to adopt yeah. this new thing? Yeah, it's not about you know why. Why is this happening? Mm. Um, now, speaking of why, and and uh, cognizant of time as well, what advice would you give other companies not necessarily just technology companies but other companies that need to relook at themselves in the, in the age that we're in at the moment um, to now that you've done it you've gone through the rebranding you like you said you've, you've been focusing on humans and people for a while but you've hmm. rebranded in that fashion as well what is what's your learning and advice at this early stage you haven't had a chance to measure the results yet but wh- what would you say to anyone thinking I don't need to rebrand or maybe I should rebrand what would you tell them <laughs> Uh, uh, the rebrand <laughs> process was was a lot of effort. I got to say, <laughs> yeah. not as easy as yeah. just changing your LinkedIn profile. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, you have to have a very good. I mean, you have to have a good reason. And, and as I said, I think our 
branded was fragmented and not a good representation of what we do and, and the types of conversations we have. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if that's happening, then, you, yeah, you have to consider that. Um, and, you know, we're also investing heavily in that to build equity in that brand long term. Um, you know, it's not, you know, just putting a new wrapper on something isn't necessarily going to have an impact. It's, it's mm. how do you then make that brand sort of go through everything you do? Um, and then the other point I would say is just have a, you know, when you're thinking about your strategy long term and understand, you know, as an organisation and where you're going, you know, to take that view, like uh, take some bets about where the world is going to go and what is likely to happen because um, it's kind of what's needed. We need, you know, the market needs some big, bold predictions. It mm-hmm. needs people to stop talking about the next quarter and just a little bit of cost out and a little bit of this, but it needs people to actually take a leadership position and say, I think the world is going to head this way. Join me. That's the difference between leading and, and following, essentially, is you take that chance. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, and the difference between shareholder value and stakeholder value. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, very apt. Yeah, I read a, um, a lovely line a couple of days ago where it says, um, there's no path for leadership. Yeah. You're making it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You just, yeah, you, you, get your, uh, you get your machete and go for it. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you could be wrong, and many many do go wrong, but, yeah. uh, but many do go right as well. So, um yeah. Well, look, um, I guess from our side, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's an exciting time for your organization, Alive, uh, with a Y. This is yep. very, very cool. Um, it looks great, by the way. And thank best, you. Best of luck. I hope I hope we can sit together in, in a year or a couple of months' time and, and it's been a total success. Your customers have embraced it. I'm sure they will. Um, oh, it's been very well received so far, so, you know, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Congratulations. It's great. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. You have just listened to another podcast by EngageX. Tell us what you think. Until next time, thank you.